Well, as we've been going through the book of 1 Samuel, um, looking through the stories of Saul and, and David and Jonathan, we've seen several defining moments for these characters, uh, these critical moments where, where they have to make a decision. And that choice then becomes the foundation of their character for the rest of their lives, for good or for bad. And today, uh, we are going to read about one of those key defining moments for David. Uh, in fact, I would argue that this key defining moment for David is probably even more significant than something like his battle with Goliath, right? David's battle with Goliath uh, certainly defined him as, as a man of, of great bravery and, and boldness and trust in God. But I think it's in today's story that we really begin to, to see David defined as a man after God's own heart. Uh, now, if you haven't been with us recently, let me just quickly give you a, a, uh, a rundown on where we are in our story today. Uh, king Saul, of course, is the, the current king of Israel. But because of his disobedience, uh, God has told him that he is going to take his kingdom away from him and give it to another man, uh, a man who will do all that God desires, who will obey God, uh, just as we've been talking about. Um, however, uh, that man happens to be uh, Saul's son-in-law, David. God has told David that he will be the next king of Israel. Now, of course, this has created a very interesting dynamic between Saul and David. Now, as for David, he has been completely loyal and faithful to Saul, uh, serving him faithfully, uh, commanding Saul's armies and, and having great victories uh, as he fights the Philistines doing that. Uh, but Saul has become increasingly jealous of David and has repeatedly tried to kill him. Now, uh, actually, in the last several chapters of uh, 1 Samuel, we've seen Saul chasing David around the countryside, uh, trying to capture and kill him. But so far, David has escaped, although sometimes only by the skin of his teeth. Uh, actually, just last week, we saw that uh, Saul was just moments away from capturing David when Saul got an urgent message saying that the Philistines were attacking. And so Saul had to, to turn away and, and go deal with the Philistines, and, and therefore David escaped. Um, and of course, this wasn't by, by chance or by luck. Uh, this was all uh, God's doing. God had a hand in all of this, uh, keeping David safely out of Saul's grasp. But in our story today, we're going to see things actually flip around a little bit. And it's not going to be David in the hands of Saul, but it's going to be Saul in the hands of David. So with that as our introduction, let's pause here and pray. And then we'll open up God's word and see what he has to say to us this morning. Dear God, again, we thank you for this time that we have to gather together on this uh, lovely Sunday morning. Uh, we thank you for your word that you've preserved for us over the centuries. And we, we pray that as we look into your word this morning, that you will continue to speak to us as you've been uh, faithfully doing all these generations. Uh, but I pray that you would speak to us today and that uh, you would uh, give us your instructions, you'd reveal your character, and uh, show us what we need to do in our, in our lives uh, this very day. So pray that you would speak to us this morning and that we would listen attentively. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our passage today is found in 1 Samuel chapter 24, and we're going to begin at verse 1. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. All right, every story needs a great hook, right? That, that little something right at the introduction that just captures your attention and makes you want to keep reading. Well, this story has a fantastic 
hook. All right, Saul is once again on the hunt for David. He's dealt with the, the Philistines. He's gathered 3,000 of his best troops, uh, and he is on his way to capture David. These guys are like uh, the, the Navy SEALs, right? These are guys who are the best of the best, and they have one objective in mind. They're going to capture and kill David. Well, as these elite troops are, are tracking David through the mountains, Saul suddenly feels the call of nature, which is, you know, completely normal. He's got to take a bathroom break, and they happen to be going by these caves. And so Saul decides, well, that's as good a place as any. So he goes into the, this cave to do his business, and, and off he goes to relieve himself. But wouldn't you know it, it just so happens that David and his 600 men are all hiding in the back of that very cave. What a great setup for a story. And what a great setup for David now. You know, what an opportunity to finally put Saul in his place. Or at least that's what David's men thought. Take a look at verse 4. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. You know, and one could hardly deny that this was just the, the, the perfect opportunity for David, right? To take out his number one nemesis, King Saul. There would likely never be an opportunity like this again, uh, where, where David would have Saul right where he wanted. Maybe Saul was, was vulnerable and helpless, alone at the moment, uh, in the presence of, of David and all of his men. You know, it's certainly no surprise that David's men concluded that, you know, God has handed you Saul on a silver platter. And think about it, with Saul out of the, the picture, wouldn't David be glad to stop running and constantly fearing for his life? I mean, Saul has been hunting David relentlessly for, for months, if not years already by this point. So surely David is ready to stop running and, you know, try to get back to some kind of a, a normal life. And all David would have to do is just say the word and his men would pounce on Saul and, and that would be the end of it. Or at least that would be the end of Saul anyways. I guess there'd still be those, those 3,000 elite troops standing outside the, the cave that they'd have to deal with. Uh, but, you know, that scenario could go, you know, a couple different ways. There certainly was the, the possibility that if David killed Saul, then Saul's troops would, you know, take revenge for their master and, and try to kill David and his men who are kind of trapped inside a cave at this point. But then again, you know, once Saul was dead, perhaps those troops might they might retreat or, or even surrender to David. It's hard to know exactly what they would do. But sufficient to say there was a lot at stake for David and his men. So what would David do? Well, the end of verse 4 tells us, So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. Now, this kind of seems like a strange thing for David to do. And, and two questions immediately come to mind. First of all, why did David, you know, go and, and cut off that piece of Saul's robe? And what was his, his purpose in doing that? And then the second question is, how in the world did he do that without Saul noticing, right? So the, the why question is going to get answered for us here in the verses to follow. So just kind of hold that thought for the moment. We'll get there. Um, but the how question isn't really answered in the Bible. Now, most people probably imagine David, you know, creeping up carefully uh, behind Saul as Saul's just doing his business there with David coming, you know, within feet or even inches of King Saul, you know, so they can cut off that piece of his robe. And it may have happened that way, but it, it may not have happened that way as well. It's quite possible that, you know, as Saul goes into the cave, that he actually took off his outer robe and, you know, put it somewhere before he goes deeper into the cave to, to find the, the perfect potty place, as it were. Um, and so David may have gone over to wherever Saul had left his robe with Saul, you know, at least a little distance away. So that, that would certainly make it a little bit easier. But either way, you know, it was certainly a very daring and bold plan for David to creep forward and cut off a piece of his robe with Saul being so very near to him. And of course, 
David wasn't being, you know, foolhardy as he was doing this. He wasn't just trying to show his men how brave he was or anything like that. He actually had a very good reason for doing what he did. And we're going to see that in verse 11, but we're not there yet. But let's see, first of all, what happens in verse 5. Uh, actually, I'll back up. I'll see verse 4 again, just so you get the context. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. And, and this is what I find so incredible about this story here. This is the defining moment that I talked about at the beginning. Remember, all that David has done to Saul at this point is he has cut off a, a little corner of Saul's hem on his robe right? He hasn't, you know, run him through with his sword or lopped off his head. He hasn't even, you know, taken him hostage or, or threatened his life in any way. All he did was cut a tiny bit of fabric from Saul's robe. And immediately, David's conscience begins to bother him because he has raised his hand against the Lord's anointed one, even in this, this tiniest of ways. You know, throughout this whole time that Saul has been pursuing David and David's been on the run, David has never lifted a finger against Saul or even said a negative word against him. This was actually the first thing that could even be perceived as David acting against Saul. And it was such a, a little thing, but David immediately felt guilty about it. See, David had such a soft heart towards God that he felt that even this, this minor attack, as he called it, uh, this attack on the Lord's anointed one to be a sin against God. Right, God had chosen Saul as king, and so David felt, and, and I think rightly so, that he had an obligation to respect and honor Saul as king. And, and so uh, it, it didn't matter to, to David that you know Saul was trying to kill him. That was kind of besides the point. David had a responsibility to honor the Lord's decision in choosing Saul as king. And so until God removed Saul as king from that place, David would continue to honor and respect him as the Lord's anointed one. And to do anything less in David's mind was to sin against the Lord. You know, and, and it just strikes me as what a man of godly character. No wonder God, or no wonder David is called a man after God's own heart. David wanted to make sure that even in the littlest things, that he was acting in a way that honored and pleased the Lord. And what a great challenge for us, too. I mean, is that how seriously we take our relationship with God? You know, do we make sure that even in the littlest of things that we are acting in a way that is honoring and pleasing to God? You know, do we make sure that in our, our comments or our jokes at work that everything we say brings honor and glory to God? You know, do we treat every person we meet with kindness and respect even if they don't treat us with that same way? You know, are we careful to honor the Lord with what we say, you know, on, on Facebook or other social media? Does it bother our conscience when we act in any way outside of God's will for our lives? Because that's what it means to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. And I would pray that all of us would have that, that softness of heart towards God, that we would really have that desire to please and honor God in even the littlest things we do. As for David, he determined that he was not going to lift a hand against the Lord's anointed one, and he managed to convince his men to, to do the same. Uh, and eventually, you know, Saul finished up his business. He gathered up his robe and he headed back outside. And we continue reading now in verse 7. It says, After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. And then he shouted to Saul, 
Why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes, it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. And now we know the answer to the question, why did David cut off that that piece of Saul's robe? David had cut off that corner of Saul's robe to prove to Saul that he had never had any intentions of ever harming him. You know, if David wanted to harm Saul, you know, he certainly could have done a lot more than just cut off the corner of his robe back there in the cave. David very could have easily have killed him, but he didn't. He just cut off that piece of the robe to prove to Saul that he was within striking distance, but he still chose to spare his life. David then continued in verse 12. He says, may the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure that I will never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one who is as worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. And I I just love how David puts total trust in God for everything, right? He he trusts that God will will be the judge between him and Saul. He trusts that God will punish whoever is guilty. And he trusts that God will rescue him from Saul's power. You know, unlike most of us who, who like to take matters into our own hands, you know, David just leaves everything in God's hands. He just trusts God to, to sort it all out. It's, it's pretty amazing. After all that Saul had done to him, you know, David vowed that he would never harm the king, right? If Saul was going to be punished for what Saul had done to David, you know, it wouldn't be from David's hands. It would be from the Lord. David had no thought of, of getting even, no thought of revenge. David would just leave all that stuff up to God. And, and actually, the apostle Paul tells us to do the same thing in uh, the book of Romans. And it's actually kind of interesting. As you read through uh, Romans 12, 17 to 21, you'd almost think that Saul or that Paul was thinking of this exact instance from David's life as you read through this, uh, kind of using David as an example for us to follow. He doesn't say that specifically, but have a look at, at what Paul writes. He says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. You know, and isn't that exactly what David did? Right, he refused to pay back evil for evil. He, he left any possible revenge in the hands of the Lord. And instead, he did things in such a way that everybody could see that he was honorable. He did everything that he could to live at peace with Saul. He refused to be conquered by evil, but instead he conquered evil by doing good. And you'd really think that Saul just used David's life as a template for us here as he wrote this in the book of Romans. Now, I guess in, in this instant, uh, David didn't literally give his enemy you know, food or drink when he was hungry or thirsty. But in sparing Saul's life, David certainly heaped coals of shame on Saul's head. Take a look at how Saul responds now in verse 16. When David had finished speaking, Saul called back, Is that really you, my son David? And then he began to cry. 
And he said to David, you are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today, for when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Now swear to me by the Lord that when this happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. So David promised this to Saul with an oath. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went back to their stronghold. You know, Saul is just amazed and overwhelmed at David's kindness. I mean, Saul knows that he should have been killed in that cave. He deserved it. And every, any other man certainly would have delivered it to him. But David spared his life. He repaid all of Saul's evil and overcame his evil with good. And as a result, Saul acknowledged for the very first time that David will be king of Israel and that the kingdom of Israel would just flourish under the rule of this good and godly man. Saul then asked David not to kill off his family when he became king. And of course, that's something that David had already promised to Jonathan. Uh, so that certainly wasn't a problem. Uh, David happily made that same promise to Saul. Um, but, but really, even that was an undeserved favor from David to Saul. Uh, you know, after all the time that Saul had spent hunting for David, you'd really expect David to be you know, bitter and, and angry towards Saul. But all we see here is compassion and forgiveness and, and goodwill. Well, the, the chapter ends then with Saul returning home and David and his men going back to their stronghold. Uh, sadly, this will not be the last time that Saul goes hunting for David. And it seems that maybe David suspects that already. Uh, he knows the, the fickle nature of Saul. And so for the time being, Saul goes home, but David and his men stay in the wilderness uh, in their stronghold, just kind of waiting for Saul to change his mind again. But you know, this whole story really just is a vivid picture, I think, of our relationship with God. You know, like Saul, we too have been shown amazing kindness by someone who overcame our evil with his good. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, the Bible says that each one of us constantly do evil in the sight of God. We, we just selfishly rebel against God almost constantly. We are sinners. And as a result, we all deserve to die. Right? We deserve to be separated from God for eternity. In fact, God has every right and would be totally justified just to wipe us all off the planet at any time. But God didn't do that. He didn't repay our evil deeds with the punishment that we deserve. Instead, he repaid our evil deeds with good. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son Jesus into the, to the world to be born and to live a sinless life and to die on a cross in our place. And he did this so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. Jesus overcame our evil with good. And so this morning, we want to celebrate communion together, which of course uh, is a symbolic meal that reminds us of that very fact. It reminds us that we were once enemies of God. We were, we were selfish and rebellious against him. But God still loved us so much, even in that state, that he willingly died for us. He paid the price for our sins that we could be forgiven and have life with him forever. So just before we move into our time of communion this morning, I, I just want to ask you the question. Have you accepted Christ's gift of forgiveness and life? 
Have you put your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin? Have you acknowledged that Jesus Christ is your king? And if you've never done that, I would encourage you to do that today. I'm going to have the music team come forward here at this time, and we're going to sing the song Amazing Love. Uh, and as we sing, I just encourage you to reflect on the words. Sometimes we sing songs without even thinking about what we're singing, but as we sing this song, think about these words that we're singing. Reflect on the kindness, the amazing kindness that God has shown to you and I, sinners, uh, his enemies. Reflect on the cross and all that Jesus went through so that we could have life with him forever. And then reflect on that final statement of that song where we declare, Jesus, you are my king. Is that true for you? I hope that it is. Let's sing that song together.